One of the great wonders of the universe is that God actually wants us to communicate with him. Some might suppose God's not interested or does not communicate, but that's not what he tells us through the Bible. Psalm 94.9 asks rhetorically, Does he who implanted the ear not hear? Does he who formed the eye not see? Think about it. If we have the faculties of communicating, speaking, listening, is it not reasonable to suppose whatever intelligent designer made us has at least as much ability? little boy was saying his bedtime prayers with his mother. Lord, bless mommy and daddy and God. Here he spoke quite loudly. Give me a new bicycle. His mother said, God's not deaf, son. He replied, I know, mom, but grandma's in the next room and she's hard of hearing. Who better to coach us on how to pray than the Lord himself? Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives his followers some valuable insight into how to pray. So today we're going to look at the kind of God worth praying to, the kind of prayer worth praying, and prayer's earthly prerequisite, the conditions that set up prayer for effectiveness. Let's begin by looking at the picture of God underlying what Jesus teaches here about prayer. If you suppose the person on the other end of a conversation is either deaf or not interested in what you have to say, soon you're going to lose all motivation for talking. What's the point? Does our lack of praying spring from a sneaking suspicion that God doesn't really care about what we'd ask? That he's off supervising bigger and better matters in the universe? Materialism is a prevalent worldview that holds that matter, physical stuff, is all that is. There's no such thing as a spiritual dimension of the universe. Materialism would say God is irrelevant or even dead. Everything's just a product of time plus chance plus matter. God is relegated to the fictional realm of the tooth fairy and Easter bunny. Or take deism. Deism was an intellectual movement of the 17th and 18th centuries that accepted the existence of a creator on the basis of reason, but rejected belief in a supernatural deity who interacts with humankind. Unquote from the internet. It accepted the idea of a creator, but not a God who intervenes in the universe. It's as if God wound up the universe like a cosmic grandfather clock, then walked away to let it wind down on its own. God becomes very remote, dispassionate, uninterested in human affairs in this view. And besides the dead God of materialism and the distant God of deism, there's the, the dumb God of Eastern spirituality. Much of the thrust of Buddhism is towards identification with nothingness. I was overhearing a, a popular New Age author talking about meditation and using a certain sound in the morning and a, a different sound in the evening with the object of emptying one's mind of thought so as to merge consciousness with what's beyond ourselves. But that supposes God is dumb, unspeaking, does not want to communicate his thoughts to us or hear our concerns. But what does Jesus tell us? He very specifically says at least three things in this passage that undercut these heretical views. The dead God of materialism, the distant God of deism, and the dumb God of Eastern spirituality. Matthew 6.6 6. 
then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Two things. God sees what's done in secret and God rewards the prayer. And uh, please uh, take those little slips of paper in the bulletin and I've underlined different parts and that may help you follow the gist of the message as we go along here. God sees what's done in secret. Powers 15.29 notes, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Proverbs 15.8, The Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but the prayer of the upright, what? Pleases him. God is pleased when you pray. The Lord delights to hear you talk to him. It pleases him. And God's not far off, remote, uh, removed from the sphere of human activity. Psalm 139, 2 and 4. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. Does that sound like someone who's oblivious to the details of your life? Jesus insists our Heavenly Father will reward you. He wants to bless those who rely on him through faith. Hebrews 11.6 And without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Prayer is worthwhile because the being to whom we are praying is worthy of being approached. He responds to those who cry out to him in sincerity. So we see even Jesus, himself the Son of God, making time to pray, keeping it a priority. Mark records how Jesus got up very early in the morning while it was still dark, went off to a solitary place and prayed there, Mark 1.35. We see him praying intensely in the Garden of Gethsemane just before his arrest, Mark 14.32. A four-year-old boy once saw a picture of Christ praying and asked what Jesus was doing in that picture. He was told that Jesus was praying the youngster responded by asking who Jesus was praying to. After being told Jesus was praying to God, the young boy protested, but Jesus is God. Similar thought was captured by St. Cyprian who said, if he prayed who was without sin, how much more it becomes a sinner to pray. And Martin Luther, if you think you're too busy, Martin Luther once said, I have so much to do that I must spend the first three hours of each day in prayer. Three hours. Hmm. Start with three minutes, maybe 15 minutes at least. Uh, Martin Luther, three hours. And prayer helps set your priorities. Helps you get the right focus for your day. So you're less distracted by the things that come along and would distract you, take you off course. Jesus paints for us the picture of a loving Heavenly Father who sees what's done in secret and rewards those who pray. Also in Matthew 6, 8, your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Do you realize God knows your needs? Personally, in advance, before you ask Him. Communicating with God is never telling Him something He doesn't already know. But he wants you to ask, just the same. The act of asking demonstrates your reliance upon him. Psalm 34, 15. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. 
How keen is God to respond to our spoken needs? Isaiah 65, 24. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. God will answer even before the call is voiced. Friday, I had the privilege of taking two of my youngest granddaughters who are visiting from Germany, ages three and four, out to lunch. I'm delighted to say Philip and Allison are here today with us, and I presume the little girls are downstairs. Um, <clears throat> So, uh, arriving at the restaurant, I asked them if they needed the bathroom. They said no. I'd remembered some things from my parenting days. <clears throat> After we'd ordered, before the food was delivered, uh, the older girl, Evie, said she needed the bathroom. Did I begrudge her telling me? Did I delay to take action? No. I love them. So, I took them right away to get their physical needs met. And avoiding having to make use of the change of clothes their parents had thoughtfully sent along with me just in case. I was glad she could ask. Jesus said in John 16, In that day you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I'll ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Our Heavenly Father loves those who have trusted in his Son and is waiting to respond when we ask in Jesus' name for his purposes on the basis of his authority. Stop and think about it. What does your prayer practice reveal about the kind of God you believe in? Does it suggest God is dead, distant, or dumb? Or that he delights in responding to his children? Next, what's the kind of prayer worth praying? We talk about the kind of God worth praying to. What's the kind of prayer worth praying? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus criticizes the hypocrites who pray from wrong motives. Hypocrite means actor, a pretender, someone who isn't really deep down what they are projecting. So in 6.5, Jesus warns against praying to be seen by other people, like those who love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners. Then in verse 7, he warns against being like those who keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Back in 1 Kings 18, we see a, a contest of sorts between Yahweh's prophet Elijah and the state-approved prophets of Baal, or fertility god, on Mount Carmel. Each would take a turn calling on the name of their god and see which answered by fire. Now we read of the pagan prophets Hullabaloo in 1 Kings 18, 26-29. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted. There was no response, no one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought or, or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response, no one answered. No one paid attention. It's not babbling on and on that's going to get God's attention. God isn't impressed by long, drawn-out prayers or much theatrics. By contrast, Jesus says, Matthew 6, 6, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who's unseen. Then your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. 
We needn't be long-winded when addressing a God who knows what we need before we even ask. Jesus goes on to give us a model prayer, what's traditionally become known as the Lord's Prayer, a few short, succinct phrases. Let's sum them up with a few hand gestures as aids. I'd ask you to put your pens down and just join me with these. And Kids, you can do this along with me. So honor, okay, index fingers pointing up, honor, okay, honest, palms open, extended, nothing to hide, holding hostage, now here you pretend you're gripping somebody's throat, okay, okay, not that you would ever do such a thing, of course, holding hostage, and then help from the hellish as if holding on to or climbing a rope, okay, okay, let's run through that again, so honor, honest, holding hostage, and help from the hellish. Okay. All right, here we go. Walking through the Lord's Prayer with our hand gestures. Okay, first of all, honor. Matthew 6, 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're honoring God as number one in our life. It's about his honor, his name being hallowed. It means holy, sacred, reverence. His kingdom, his reign or dominion. He is Lord. He's in control, not us. His will being done, not ours. Here's a clue right away then that prayer is about far more than presenting our grocery list of requests. It's more than just a wish list to Santa Claus. It's about tuning in to what God's will might be in our situation, not what we want. So it's not just about talking, us talking. There's a big listening component, getting tuned in. Are you honoring God in your life when you begin to pray? Michael Green notes, many view God only as a kind of heavenly genie, ready when you rub the lamp of prayer to appear and say, yes, Master, what do you want me to do? But God is not like that. God is sovereign. God moves according to his own purposes and he does not play games with us. He is not to be mollified and placated by a temporary return to him when we get into difficulty. It's about God's will, not ours. We're praying similarly to what our Lord Jesus prayed in his hour of crisis in the Garden of Gethsemane, Luke 22:42. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Are we praying for God's will rather than our own? Are we living for his will or our own human desires? 1 Peter 4.2 As a result, he, the disciple who has suffered in the body and is done with sin, does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. That's what we should be living for. Second, Honest. Remember, you can do the, show me that one again. Honest. Palms open, extended. 611 uh, in the Matthew. Give us today our daily bread. What's your real basic immediate need? It's for daily bread, not a lifetime supply. It's for daily bread, not a Porsche, your necessities, not luxuries. Do you share the attitude of the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 6.8? But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Third, holding hostage. Okay, so here you've got the person's throat and you're kind of throttling them. 
Matthew 6.12, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. You want to be released from your sins. What you owe God, have you forgiven others? Or are you still holding their shortcomings and wrongings against them? Have you truly forgiven others? Are you mad at God even? Bitterness will choke the spiritual life out of you and separate you from God. What do you need to let go of rather than try to keep throttling someone about, oh, if I could only get my hands on them? The word forgive here means to send away, to dismiss, to wipe off. Leave it. Let it go. You're only inadvertently choking yourself if you keep hanging on to that grudge. I've probably said it before. I'll say it again. Uh, Bitterness is the poison we drinking, hoping, something, hoping that someone else will die. We need to be honest about our mess-ups and confess our failures rather than hide them. God knows the whole story. A young boy saw a pack of cigarettes on the ground and decided to try them. He went to a field near his home and after several fumbling attempts got one to light up. It didn't taste good. Indeed, it burned his throat and made him cough but it made him feel very grown up, like the Marlboro man. Then he saw his father coming. Quickly, he put the cigarette behind his back and tried to be casual. Desperate to divert his father's attention, the young boy pointed to a nearby billboard advertising the circus. Can we go, Dad? Please, let's go when it comes to town. Father quietly but firmly replied, Son, never make a petition while at the same time trying to hide a smoldering disobedience. I think the father could see something else was going on behind there. Fourth, help from the hellish, okay? Hands like pulling up the rope, as if clinging to a lifeline. 6.13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Luke 22.40, upon arriving at the Mount of Olives, Jesus urges his disciples, pray that you will not fall into temptation. We're asking for God's protection to, to keep us from hard testing and to deliver us from the evil one. There are spiritual agents out there stronger than us. We need the Lord's help. He can provide a way out when we're tempted. 1 Corinthians 10:13. No temptation has seized you except what's common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but... When you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Jesus ends this section on prayer by underlining the conditions by which forgiveness is possible. He would later go to the cross to die in horrible pain and offer his life in our place as an atoning sacrifice so our own sins could be forgiven. Some precious promises here, Acts 13, 38. Through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. That's really what this meal we're about to take part of here symbolically is all about. The forgiveness of sins, Jesus has made possible. Ephesians 1, 7. Can we read this one together? In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Note the the verb there. In him we will have, someday we'll have, 
in eternity will enjoy, we have right here and now. It's amazing. Redemption through his blood. Jesus' teaching links our forgiveness by God with the need for us to forgive others. Matthew 6, 4, 14 and 15. As follows this whole section on prayer, just he really drives the point home. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. If you're going to keep that wall up between you and that other person, that wall can keep you from God. Don't let that happen. Many of us have memorized the Lord's Prayer, but do we, we remember unforgiveness of others will block us from heaven? Peter once asked Jesus how many times he should forgive his brother when he sins. As many as seven times? Jesus countered 77 times. Not meaning you're supposed to keep track, but just keep on doing it. Matthew 18.22 And Jesus went on to give the classic parable about the unforgiving servant who'd been forgiven millions of dollars himself by his master and been spared a life in prison, but then just turned around, started throttling his fellow servants, throw him into prison over a few bucks. Where can we find the grace and mercy necessary to keep on forgiving others when they hurt us and wrong us? To accept each other, as Pastor Phil preached last week from Romans 15, by savoring all our Savior has done for us. Ephesians 4.32 Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Colossians 3.13 Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Pretty powerful little word, that as, just as, as. It's been done to us. We have grace. Let's show that grace to one another. In closing, one short command and promise from Jesus, John 16, 24. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Ask bringing even the little things before the Lord, seeking His will. As has been said, prayer moves the hand that moves the world. Let's pray. Father, thank You that You want us to come and share our requests before You. Thank You that You want to us to understand Your will, what You're doing in our lives, to get the big picture. Lord, we want to get on board with that. Help our church to be a church that prays, we know you're not dead. We know you're not distant. We know you're not dumb. You love to interact with us. Thank you for this privilege. In Jesus' name.